Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. Thanks for tuning in. This is a continuation of our annual Year in Review conversation on the Leadership Under Fire Humanizing the Narrative podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by LUF founder Jason Bresler and LUF's human performance advisor, Jim McNamara. Please listen to our previous episode recapping 2022 as this one picks up from where we left off. We hope you enjoy this discussion and follow along the rest of the year as the LUF team expands our mission. We're on such an upward trajectory with this conversation that I'm nervous to ask my next question, which is, what were some of the meaningful challenges you navigated or find yourself navigating at this time? Sorry to bring it down to challenges. No, it's it's okay. It's real. Jimmy. Sure. Many firefighters, myself included, have been forced to work straight tours because of the never-ending manpower crisis that we're suffering. And uh, it's been physically debilitating. You know, Jason hit me up with a text today, say nice, you know, nice strain rates. Those strain rates are not activity levels. It's, you know, it's fatigue. And you couple that with, you know, when you get to this part in your life and your career, you bounce a lot of things off your head. Like some days you're saying like, I should be retired living in the country and uh, other days, you know, you go to a fire and you're all pumped up or you do work with MPI or LUF and you're all pumped up, but it's, it's a constant navigational problem. And it's, it's a natural one. Everyone that gets to this age thinks about it. You know, the great one said, they used to say, well, your body will tell you when. Uh, my body's been telling me that for quite a while. But like anything else, it's, it's you, know, you know, you know what the good points of life are. It's still a tremendous amount of fun going to work. I work with great people and doing this, which is you know, above all else. But it is, you know, it is a point, you know, and you think about it, and I think about it a lot. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, you know, keep plugging along. You know, having your schedule changed after almost three decades uh, doesn't afford you the type of recovery that you need. When you essentially cut your, your, your days off in half, whew, I mean, you, the strain rates that I generate, it kind of gets scary when you're approaching, you know, my age. But like anything else, life is a challenge and you have to keep moving forward. But that's been the, the challenge for me this year. Um, hopefully in the new year, maybe things open up a little bit. We get back to something more normal. We'll, we'll see. But that has been the, the challenge this year for me. Jason, what about you? The biggest challenge has been time. You know, for, for reasons different that, that are different than Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy works in a fly house. It does... Uh, an ungodly amount of, of running. These guys get beat up every time they go to work. Uh, you know, I'm blessed in the regard that I, I work in a fly house that does considerably less running. And, you know, a, a good percentage of our running is, is uh, for working flyers in, in emergencies. So I kind of have that going for me. But I, I have, I just have so many things competing for my time between the FDNY uh, and all of them good. Uh, leader, leadership under fire, the Marine Corps, Coaching. My oldest is is, uh, is starting to play sports, so I coached t-ball this past year, which uh, required a lot of MPI in its own its own way. You know, m- making enough time for my for my wife, for my kids, and also to some extent for myself. Right, trying to be mindful of, t- of my sleep hygiene, trying to like sometimes carve out space where I can go somewhere and read for thirty minutes. And, and give whatever it is I'm reading my, my undivided attention. But then also when I come home, like largely giving my, my wife and my, particularly my girls, our girls, my, my undivided attention, being president when I'm at work. I, I think the biggest challenge at this point in life, kind of living life at, at full speed with, with uh, and like I said, all of it is good. It's, it's just when I'm there being as present as I can in that moment 
and uh, it's challenging. That's where that's where people like Fader are so uh, so helpful. And and at the end of the day, all of my activities they all involve people, right? Who are at times difficult, or and we're talking about great people, right? But at times they're humans. And and like everything, just when you think it's just like combat, like just when you think you have a plan that's executable. Once the first shot is is fired, like I sit down with my my UFA or UFO calendar and my have my digital Google calendar and I have the week. This is what I'm going to work out. This is what I'm going to study. And this is what I'm going to go do this for LUF. And this is the drill that I'm going to run on this day, a particular day in the firehouse. And usually by like Monday afternoon, my, my calendar for the week is is nothing more than than a, <laughs> than a shell. But it's also what makes life enjoyable, right? The fact that it is it is unpredictable. And a lot of times, like the the, op- the greatest opportunities that, w- that we have as leaders, they tend to manifest in, in ways that we didn't anticipate or didn't predict. And if we're uh, present, there's a great opportunity to uh, to, to have an impact and, and, and learn something along the way. What about you, Patty? As someone who transitioned this, this past year, what was your, your biggest challenge for the year? Guys, this has been the most transformative year of my life. And that is just a really nice fader-like way of saying it was the most (laughs) challenging year of my life. In the first quarter of this year, I made the decision to leave my primary role, my full-time position, and prioritize my freelance work. So I've been working for myself for the majority of the year. And that's really a testament to how much I've been working over several years, because I didn't just decide I'm gonna leave and then start freelancing. I've been freelancing outside of my primary role and I'm grateful for the fact that I've finally been able to scale up enough to just make my passion projects my focus. But living alone, working alone, living in an unfamiliar place is not for the faint of heart. And it's certainly like, if you retreat the way that I have and you don't come out a different person, I don't know how that's possible. Like I've changed my mind on most everything. Like I've done everything this year from, don't laugh at me, Jim, from consulting psychic mediums and doing sound baths and Reiki healing and meditation to giving up alcohol in a programmatic fashion with a community, which I'm happy to talk about. I did go back to drinking after Hurricane Ian, but (laughs) I've definitely changed, reset my relationship with alcohol. I consulted with a nutritionist, worked out with a personal trainer. I got a dog, (laughs) a little three-month-old puppy, and subsequently hired a dog trainer. So my life is so different than what it was a year ago. And I'm still in the midst of this sabbatical year, which is what I'm framing this as. Um, Sure. It's hard to say that when I'm working and I'm obviously producing output, but my priority this year has been myself. And it's just been a wild journey. I think probably the most important thing I did was go back to therapy. So (laughs) it's been a challenge. I'm grateful for this luxury that I have to do this at 34 years old, like in the season of life, I can p- press pause and really sure. look and reflect and reset. So the verdict's still out on whether or not you're coming back to, to New York? If you asked me two months ago, I would have told you without question, I'm coming back as soon as possible. I just don't know the answer right now. All right, we got we got Jimmy, we got to up the ante and find a major corporation that is going to get Patty the yes. We're gonna get on that soon. <laughs> we need a major sponsor on the podcast, and that'll be great. Problem solved. There you go. <laughs> okay. I do want to just pause really quick and and acknowledge when I gave up alcohol, it, it started out as a twenty one day challenge, and I connected with a group of women. So this was a program designed by a woman for women. I'm very open to diversity of perspective, but in this scenario, I wanted to be just with women. And I want to share that the average age of people in this group was, I think, 50, which mm-hmm. was surprising to me because these were all mothers or grandmothers. Uh, there was a woman in my group who was 77. And, and at this stage of life, you know, she had worked her entire career, 
married kids, grandkids, and now she was a caregiver and was losing control of her relationship with alcohol. The industry that was mostly represented was healthcare. A lot of nurses, a lot of doctors, a lot of nursing home attendants, and all like educated, well-resourced women who just like were falling down the rabbit hole. So I think there's a real conversation to have here and maybe one day we can have it on the podcast about alcohol, really. Like I know who the audience is and the culture and and things like that, trust me. But I think um, there's going to be a reckoning in the coming decades, I think, with the alcohol industry and the impacts that it's had, especially since the pandemic. So Yeah, absolutely. And and I think if you credit, you probably even more more forthcoming or or candid in in kind of really succinct but meaningful fashion is in in a way that no one has to, to date on the podcast. But I know whether it was Bobby Burke, right? Talked about Pat, Patty Brown changing his relationship with alcohol. I think maybe a year or two ago, we talked about me changing yeah. my relationship with alcohol in large part because of the, the data, what the data was telling me, my, my own personal biometric data, coupled with the fact that, uh, you know, I, I got kids that are, that are up all hours of the night and particularly early in the, in the morning. And um, I've heard guys say at the firehouse kitchen table and it never really resonated with me until it did is that you think you've had a hangover, like, wait until you have a hangover one morning when your kids are kids are banging on your door for you for, for you to get up but I, I think I think societally it's it's there's there's a transformation that's it's that's underway I think it happened in sport probably uh years ago and uh you know organizations like the FDNY where there's there's obviously steep tradition rooted in in everything from breaking bed together to enjoying uh, libations and, and beverages together. There's more, we'll call it alcohol hygiene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we call it sleep hygiene. I think that there's there's certainly greater awareness. Yeah, I, I definitely think at some point there's probably a conversation or a podcast episode that, that easily could be de- devoted to the topic and both the professional and kind of personal value of and, and offering folks some, some education, enlightenment, and most importantly, some encouragement as they think about changing their relationship with alcohol, regardless of what phase they're of, of life they're in, there's a lot of value. Yeah. I just wanted to mention the group specifically, because even though I'm not talking about, you know, from the perspective of a firefighter or somebody who works in law enforcement or the military, like I'm representing another group that you're all very close to. Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your mother, maybe it's your sister, your, you know, there, there, everyone in the group was a woman of, character, I'll say, and all trying to be nurturers, all trying to be caring and show up and in the background, we're struggling. So just humanizing the narrative. I appreciate that. And I also appreciate your, uh, your forthcomingness that like you change your relationship and then you modify that relationship. Like a, a hurricane came, right? At a time you're trying to like, right? You, you had the, the, the challenges that came with getting a new, new puppy. Yeah, right? I had him a week and then we and lost then- power for days. You get this but I'm epic, grateful that I, we didn't storm. get a direct hit, you know. Yeah. We're going to get you a whoop so that we can monitor you from New York. Yes. I have always been so afraid to put it on because then you guys will really know that Patty's off the backside of the curve 98% <laughs> right. of the time. <laughs> it's going to be on your doorstep tomorrow. Uh, oh, okay. Well. Let's move on to what were some of the most <laughs> what were some of the most exciting opportunities you experienced this year, Jim? Okay, the process uh, for our next academic piece uh, with Dr. Andy Morgan, uh, we're really close to executing um, after a considerable lengthy process, and that's really exciting. The process of doing this is the most exciting part. You know, it starts with a simple idea. Jason said, let's look at the, you know, the, the, continue to look at the hippocampus and the time and spatial distortion and all the iterations that it went through. And I mean, so much work, but in each step, like you're learning. And now Dr. Morgan, you know, Andy offered another suggestion of how to do this. That's going to take it to another level. And we're literally like, on the doorstep of being able to finalize this and to do this. And that's just enormously exciting. That to me was probably the most exciting part of the year. Um, it was a really 
good year, you know, operating with the team. We, we did a lot of really good things this year. We're really starting to take, gain traction and, and people are really starting to connect with the messages. But I think to me, the, the highlight of it was getting close uh, and, the, and the work with Dr. Andy Morgan, who was just an absolute gift. Excellent. And Jason? Yeah, probably the, the greatest opportunity or blessing that I had in a professional context this past year has been getting to return to squad company 252 in Brooklyn, a place where I spent uh, about two years as a firefighter before having gone to rescue two and a place that was pretty significant in my kind of professional development, my transition to Brooklyn, had the opportunity to work for a, a really terrific captain there who was uh, very passionate about developing leaders in a way that I think is probably more consistent with the military than, than the FDNY, the fire service at large. And uh, I got promoted. I went to lower Manhattan for two years, kind of enjoyed it, but was ready to get back to special operations and went back to special operations, which is kind of covering really wasn't sure where I was going to, where I was going to wind up. There's a few places that are particularly appealing to me that I kind of fit my personality kind of like culturally within the FDNY. And then last year, probably uh, last couple of days of the, of the year, Prior to New Year, the captain of, of uh, 252 said that he had a, um, had a lieutenant spot that was was likely going to open up. Asked me if I wanted to come back, and I had the opportunity to go back. And I had only been gone maybe 10 years, but uh, only, f I think, five or six of the firefighters, of the 25 firefighters that I had worked with are still there. Guys that, that I had worked with that had kind of you know helped to shape me and develop me when I had gotten there are largely the guys that, that drive me. Everyone else is uh, checked into the company after I had left. And it's, it's great. I, I love working in Brooklyn. I love the tempo. I love the pace. I love the competitiveness. And then I, I like having the opportunity to, to lead or, or just work alongside and with guys that they're anywhere between that, like six to 10 to 12 year mark where they want to take their, their performance to the next level as either a firefighter. And they, they want to stay there and be an impact player. They want to go to a rescue company. They want to get promoted. Guys are like a little bit younger than I am um, and be able to like help shape and develop them, you know, while getting to be one of their teammates, I'm having such a great time professionally. And it's, it's been so, it's been so cool to go back and, and contribute. And um, we're hoping that we're going to get our captains, uh, our list established here soon, you know, for as, as many things as the FDNY does well, they're not, not everything is, is a best practice. So when you take a captain's test, in, in December of 2021, and here it is almost 2022, and we don't have a list established. We're, we're hopeful. Almost 2023. I'm sorry, 23. Yeah. So I, I don't know if optimistic is the word. We're hopeful that the list is coming, and uh, you know, guys like Dan, South Frank will get promoted, and eventually, hopefully, I'll, I'll get promoted, and we'll get to serve as company commander. So that's exciting. That, that's at least looks like it's on the, on the horizon. Um, and yeah, so many opportunities this, this year at, at home, at work, the Marine Corps, uh, LUF, and probably the, the thing that I enjoy doing the, the most professionally outside of probably working in the firehouse is getting to contribute to leadership programs at, at the Naval Academy and more recently uh, West Point, like getting to make the trek to Annapolis several times each semester and challenge these fine young men and women who are on the precipice of being tested in ways that they can't yet comprehend and being able to, to challenge them and make them kind of uncomfortable, even in a classroom setting, emotionally and psychologically and morally in a way that Roussel challenged me. And then also kind of encouraging them, you know, and getting them excited about the opportunity and the moment of truth that will be, will be there. So you have to remember these individuals who will be graduating from our nation's service academies, West Point, Annapolis, this year were infants on 9-11. On uh, we're we're going to enter an era here soon where virtually uh, very few people in the military, with, with the exception of the senior ranks, both enlisted and officer, were even in the military on that, uh, that September morning. And the world has changed. and It's continued to change. It's just a tremendous honor to get to go back several times each semester and, and contribute. And, you know, looking ahead, I'm excited. The fact that we're going to have an in-person leadership and human performance summit in Annapolis, Friday, uh, April 21st, we've, we've got a pretty good lineup of, of guests. I'll withhold sharing who they, who they are 
Uh, but in the very near future, we got an announcement coming. It'll be spring. Winter will be over. Annapolis in the spring is, uh, is spectacular. So looking forward to that as, as well. And it means you'll be making a trek from, from Florida to, uh, to Maryland to join us, Patty. <laughs> I look forward to it. Well, I already mentioned my opportunity was closely connected to my challenge. Obviously, having the luxury of having this reflective year was a great opportunity. One of my favorite questions to ask every year in review episode, I want to know each of your most formative or favorite book that you read this year, podcast, and film. So Jim, would you like to start? Sure. Um, this year, the book In Search of Memory by Dr. Eric Kandel. Uh, he recently retired from Columbia. Tom Miller, uh, from 26, uh, recommended the book. He didn't have uh, Dr. Kendall, but he recommended that. It is a definitive work for anybody looking to get a deeper understanding of memory. He is so good that Tom Miller and I are gonna now start reading his uh, graduate level work, the textbooks and all of that. You talk about a resource book that you can keep coming back to, and there's plenty of video work if you care to look at Dr. Kendall in that realm simply extraordinary. I'll also say in that same realm to mention Tom Miller. So Tom was my probie, now we work together. I cannot wait for the people in the LUF network to get a glimpse of Tom and to see him and to, to see what he can do. It's absolutely extraordinary. I'm breaking rocks in comparison to what he does. Uh, and it's, it's wonderful because the young ones we tend to look at in a negative light. Nope, just the opposite. They're absolutely extraordinary. And um, this is one of the most extraordinary people in the fire service today. And that we're in good hands, even when ultimately there is that, you know, line of succession occurring. But Dr. Eric Kandel's work in search of memory, get it, keep it, use it as a resource and uh, continue to grow. It was that good. Jason, did you have any time to read this year? I did. And it wasn't the FDNY bulletins. Um, <laughs> they keep changing them anyway. So uh, let's see. This this past year, I read two books that uh, really resonated with me that I really enjoyed and I'll probably revisit from time to time. Uh, the first being The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. And I, I think it would be a good book for you to to, to read, Patty. And I, I, I should mention, I, I rarely try to like recommend books to people because I, I know most of the people in our, in our network are, are active readers. They also have a lot of things competing for their, for their time. And people kind of have their own, you know, they, they kind of know what, what it is they want to read. But it's about, it, the subtitle is Embrace Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Happy, Healthy Self. And it's about our relationship with discomfort, uh, food, sleep, digital devices, relationships. And uh, I feel like he does a pretty good job of humanizing the narrative, but he invokes a lot of, a lot of science. So he's done several podcasts recently. So if folks, if you go into Art and Manliness, which is one of my, usually at the top of my library, my podcast library, he's, he's been on there recently, but Michael Easter, the, the comfort crisis. The other book that I read this year that I really, really enjoyed even more than I, than I thought I might is called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, pretty oh. iconic author, combat vet. Interestingly enough, well, he was a theologian, but then ironically enough, early in his life, in inclusive of his time in combat, he was an atheist, or at a minimum, he was ag agnostic. Just a terrific, terrific writer. And, um, you know, on the surface, you'd say, well, it's all about romance. It's actually, there's four loves, romance really being only one, uh, affection, friendship, and charity being the other, the other three. And he, he looks at each of these loves, like one through the lens of like, how do they make us better? What's required of us? And then what are the risks, what, what are the risks involved? Like where can we get hurt along, along the way? So uh, kind of a timeless classic. Uh, C.S. Lewis passed away in 1963. So obviously the book is, is uh, several decades old, but, but I, I, I think it's a classic. I enjoyed that. Um, all my usual staple podcasts, Freakonomics, The Bowery Boys, Art of Manliness, and movies, I think White Christmas has, we've watched it as a family like probably eight times in the past three weeks. I don't know how this is even true because I'm a, somewhat of an old soul. I had never seen the film. Yeah, I, I don't know how that's, I, I don't know how I'd never seen White Christmas 
And the first couple of minutes of White Christmas <laughs> is my all-time favorite piece of a, of a film. Like, it's, that, is, that is combat. That is what war looks like on a deeply personal and intimate way in a combat zone. Whoever wrote this, I, I know obviously early Irving Berlin had a, had a key role, but whoever helped to write the, I have to do some research on what she wrote. Whoever had done it had seen the elephant, had been to war and knew what, knew what superb leadership looked like. Like it's all about, I'm like watching this. And then like, it's, I feel like Roussel sitting next to me, just like nodding in agreement. Like that's what high morale looks like. It's not the unit with like the the shiny toys and like these guys a little bit motley, but general uh, Waverly, he loved those men. And more importantly, they loved him. Like my mother-in-law told me you're going to tear up. And it, it really made me long for my, my days of spending, uh, I wouldn't trade anything, right? I mean, to be able to spend Christmas with, with my little girls and watch them experience Christmas with childlike innocence is beautiful. But man, those days spent having having been with Marines and, and men and women that I loved in places like Fallujah and Southern Afghanistan on Christmas and having had the fortune of working for men like General Waverly, really, really special. So, and then Patty, you'll appreciate this, the number of times that my two young daughters have stood up and recited and sung along to, to sisters is uh, that's probably been the highlight of, of my Christmas on a, on a personal level, but yeah, I don't know. I have no idea how I made it 44 years without, without watching white Christmas, but it's, it's, it's going to become a, an annual classic going forward. I'm so happy you have now experienced the gift of white Christmas. <laughs> I know. I don't even, I have no idea how that happened. Uh, Jim, do you want to add to any of your favorite podcasts or films? Sure. Um, I don't really do a lot of podcasts outside of our own. The Ray Downey one was terrific. And certainly, again, really over time, it's only going to become more important. But to me, I'm so preferential to Andy. Dr. Morgan's conversation that we've had with him, that is going to stand the test of time that you can go back to that resource over and over again. He was in Italy when he did it. And just, again, someone who spent the long part of his career at Yale National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress, not just talking about opinions, but talking about work and data sets, uh, really destroying the current narrative that we're weak um, and that we're all susceptible. Um, PTSD is real, but it's, it only impacts a really small portion of people. And Andy did a great job with that. And it's, again, I, it's just, it's an epic piece of work uh, that'll stand the test of time. So when it comes to movies, I was quite embarrassed. I think last year I said something like uh, all the presidents, man. So I, I got like a two month subscription to this Netflix thing, right? I know. Eh, you know, I don't, it really didn't get much, but there was some pretty cool stuff. Um, they do a series, Human, The World Within, right? And the first one, React, the first one, React, is terrific. But what it really illustrates is that you can meet people where they are at and provide them with information in the medium of their choice. Most movies and stuff I don't really care that much about. But this was a terrific piece of work, especially the first segment, React, that really helps people can you can explain things to them and deliver information like that. And that was terrific. Uh, as far as the rest of Netflix, I did watch The Alpinist. I know you guys had recommended that. I'd love to do some brain scans on both of those. I think Alex Honnold actually did have it. Uh, but yeah, pretty good stuff. But that human, the world within was uh, my favorite for the best movie and series of the year. Excellent. I had a lot of time on my hands this year, so I read quite a bit. And I was very purposeful with my language when I wrote this question, because I have a different answer for my favorite book, the most formative book, and the most highly recommended book. So my favorite book that I read this year was called Daisy Jones and the Six. And it is a work of fiction about a rock and roll band in the late 60s into the 70s. And it's written entirely as an interview. 
And I'd be interested to know how many lines each character got because you really got a sense of each person and who they were based on their interviews, but they only had a certain, you know, amount of sound bites each chapter. So it was really interesting the way it was written and especially the fact that it was fiction. I just loved the story itself, but the, pre the presentation of the story as well. Most formative books that I read, one was Quit Like a Woman, the radical decision to stop drinking alcohol in a culture obsessed with alcohol, something like that is the subtitle, but Quit Like a Woman, great book. Another one that I read was on my reading list for years, Women Who Run with the Wolves, Myths and Stories of the Wild Woman Archetype. So if you're interested in storytelling, this is an amazing read. And then the book that I would recommend for this podcast and this group is called Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance oh. in the Age of Indulgence. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot to unpack. I don't maybe expect anybody I... to read Daisy Jones and the Six, but maybe Dopamine Nation will make the list. Very good. Very good. So you're, you're perfectly positioned to, to follow that up with uh, The Comfort Crisis by, by Easter. Yes, exactly. Um, favorite podcast, the Ray Downey episode. Every year that we get to tell those stories and connect with the families and people that worked closely with these members uh, who passed away on 9-11 is just an honor. So, um, and thank you, Jason, for once again, taking mostly the lead on that project. Uh, at the very last minute, I ended up hosting it, but you were really uh, the driving force behind the scenes. So thanks for that. You're welcome. And then and if I could add one, if I could add one thing about the remembrances in the firefighter rank in New York City now, we have maybe three, four hundred or so pre 9-11 firemen. I've actually had young kids again. Who is Patty Brown? Right. My first instinct is to swing at them, but then to say, look, they were in grade school when that went down. But you can direct them to something like that. Right. Even, there's, there's a picture of Ray Downey in our firehouse. Who's that guy? Well, instead of going through the story, you can direct them to the story. These become ever more powerful and necessary and needed as time moves on because it's, we're not that far away from having firefighters who were not born on that September morning. Time moves, right? It's inevitable. But they're never gone if we keep reflecting and talking uh, talking about them. And this is a great way to honor people, uh, extraordinary people who gave, uh, who gave everything. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, somebody actually recommended to me that I watch It's a Wonderful Life, which I've watched many times in my life, obviously. But I was able to share with them that they should probably listen to the Timothy Stackpole episode. So, you know, yeah. it's Extraordinary to have that record. Yep. And Absolutely. then I guess, speaking of movies, I watched The Rescue, which was about ah. the Thai cave rescue. I, I know it's uh, maybe a year old now, but I finally got to it. And I thought that that, I, there was so much to that story that I didn't know. And all of the footage that they had was unbelievable to see, really incredible. So that was an amazing story and well-produced film. I think I've been wanting to watch Clark, it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Tim Clark was the one who recommended it. There's another movie that I would recommend. It's not a documentary, but it's actually a limited series on Amazon Prime called The English with Emily Blunt. And hmm. her acting is superb and the story is heart-wrenching. It's a, it's a Western, so I'll put that out there. Very good. All right. Very good. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still processing that Jimmy, Jimmy Mack has a Netflix su subscription. It's just for two months and it expires at the end of this month. I am going to send you so many recommendations. In reality, like, we'll put this off the record. The only thing I watch on that thing are the cooking shows. Like, that, that's all I watch. Why I do we have to put it off the record? I need no, it. No, that's on the record. No, I'm making an executive decision. That stays on the record. Oh, Please tell right. me it's the British Bake Off. No, like, like David Chang and... Um, the Iranian chick, salty, fat acid, that one. Yes. But the David yes. Chang ones, ugly, delicious, fantastic. 
food he, he is like so a universal unifier. Like you can't go wrong with a cooking show. Absolutely. And my, my house, the one thing I have is like a professional kitchen. Like the kid, the kid can cook. <laughs> Noted. So, so I'm thinking that Jimmy's going to either do a podcast episode on uh, cooking or maybe even, oh, a Zoom, maybe even a Zoom seminar on cooking. <laughs> I'm in. We have a young guy, highly decorated Navy corpsman attached to the Marines who's with us. And upon completion of combat, he took his GI Bill and went to cooking school. That it kind of helps him. It's like therapeutic to him. Hmm. An extraordinary young man. Um, but there's this there's something therapeutic about just the calm nature of it. And also, I mean, I, I eat like an animal. So I, <laughs> well, guys, let's segue to um, something that I mentioned in the intro and it's unfortunate, but we lost people this year who were close to us and contributors to the Leadership Under Fire endeavor. I think before we start to wrap up, we should take a moment to acknowledge those individuals and their families. Um, is there anything you'd like to add, Jason, especially about their legacies? Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was a, it was a tough year on the on the last front. I feel like uh, you know those, those of us. The military and the fire service were, were kind of conditioned to uh to losing and we we recognize that it's that it's inevitable i, I think this year was a particularly uh tough year the baltimore fire uh in the early part of the year really hit, hit close to the home i mean you talk about luck and chance get, getting a vote like one literally literally one of our team members was was literally taking his gear off the rig as one of his lieutenants was putting his gear on the rig when the box was transmitted and that lieutenant minutes later would, would, would lose his life in tragic fashion. So that one really hit close to home. We, we remember that the lives and service of those three members of the Baltimore city fire department. We remember the sacrifice and, and life of firefighter, Timmy Klein, a ladder company 170 who was killed uh, in, in, in April while operating at a, at a fire in Brooklyn, this young man had a bright future, uh, just an infectious spirit of, of, about him. And, uh, you know, we, um, we remember him. We remember uh, firefighter Billy Moon of, of Rescue Company 2, who tragically lost his life just days ago, was seriously injured while preparing for a, a drill at his firehouse in, in, in Brooklyn. It's always tough to lose somebody. Very, very tough for the family, obviously, and uh, particularly during the holiday and Christmas Christmas season. And um, I, we should mention that is as uh, man as tragic as that loss is, and as challenging as it is for his, his family, his his children, his fellow firefighters, um, those who worked with him both in Queens and more recently in, in Brooklyn. Billy Moon was an organ donor, and at least five lives have have been dramatically altered for for the good. Uh, compliments of his his organs, and my understanding, I think two of the recipients were were sick from from nine eleven illness. It's an incredible story, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, that this man he, he made the ultimate sacrifice, um, and, and his family is uh, is experiencing the the heart, emotional hardship that ensues right right now. So we 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 keep them in our thoughts and, and prayers. Um, as it relates to the to the team, it, it was a tough year. We, we lost three individuals who I considered to be members of like of our of our LUF uh, family and, and team. Sid Hale, legendary Marine Corps Chief Officer, LA County Sheriff, uh, went to bed earlier this year uh, one evening and um, and didn't wake up. And, and Sid. Holy smokes, he was well into his 70s. He was a Vietnam vet. He was an older gentleman. But you talk about, like, unprecedented energy. He would fly from California to the East Coast, which jet lag sucks, right? And the older you get, the the, the worse it is. And he would drop, Pat, you probably remember, he would come join us for a week, couple of days at the Palisades uh, for an MPI conference. And he would get up, like, at the crack of dawn, and go for like a, a run, like several miles. I mean, it's general, and he was well into his seventies. He was a student. He was a renowned speaker, subject matter expert, legal expert in the, in the, in the courts. 
he was a carpenter. He was a contractor. He'd routinely ride his bike cross country for, for charity. Like it was like, you're like, wait, there must be like multiple, multiple SIDS. Like he must've cloned himself because no individual can do all of the, he had a ton of kids, grandkids. And honestly, just genuinely like one of the nicest people you could ever meet and, and, and remarkably intelligent. Right. And, and, and well-read and that, uh, that one, uh, that was, that was tough to lose. Incredibly generous with his, his, his time and knowledge. Um, we lost Justin Constantine. Justin had been a particularly good buddy of mine in the, in the Marines. He survived, uh, I mean, against insurmountable odds, probably one of the most catastrophic injuries that I'm aware of that a U.S. service member in, encountered in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, Justin was struck in the face by a, a sniper at the height of the insurgency in Iraq and literally, literally had his entire face rip, ripped off. Didn't have a patent air when a Navy corpsman under fire. Man, managed to get him in an uh, airway via trach until they could get him to an operating table. And uh, against insurmountable odds, Justin lived to tell a tale and they spent years literally reconstructing his face using parts of his, his, his leg. I mean, uh, and uh, got, got married, went on to become a, like an inspirational, motivational speaker. Really, really, a really special person. Uh, but in his later years, more recently, his, he, he battled, he battled cancer, very aggressive cancer. And he, he navigated that like he did his, his, his combat injuries, you know, with, with, with class and dignity and, um, kind of an, an, an eternal sense of, of, of optimism as a leader and selfless and servant that he, that he was, but unfortunately, um, he, he would lose that battle. So it was, it was tough to lose Justin. Justin was, was one of our first panelists at our first leadership under fire summit and conference in 2012, uh, which ironically was hosted. The panel moderator was, was Bobby Holton an iconic figure in his own right in the American Fire Service as a magazine editor, a longtime magazine editor for, for fire engineering, who unfortunately passed away this, this past week as, as well. So our hearts and prayers are with his coworkers at fire engineering and his, uh, his family. Um, and then one other individual who, who, uh, who, who we lost this year, who had a special kind of place within our team in, in a more somewhat of a, a less prominent but important role and that was Charles Swank and Charles was a uh, army combat vet had seen considerable amount of combat in a pretty uh, hard hit army unit in Iraq re returned home followed his father's footsteps as a, as a firefighter outside of Columbus Washington Township Ohio several kids very very active in his boys lives they're Athletes, competitive athletes, um, football players, uh, wrestlers. Wrestling's big in that part of the country. Like tough, good, good, tough student athlete that, that Charles was actively raising along with his his wife. Loved the fire service. You know, had attended many LUF summits and, and conferences. It worked actively to bring LUF to, to Columbus. We had, we had wound up having several events events there. Um, and then behind the scenes, it had been a really, really solid uh, werewolf mentor mentor in the Patty Brown network, you know, offering encouragement and insight to other vets who were looking to transition out of the military into the fire service. And Charles, he traveled to uh, Pensacola recently to attend a high-rise firefighting conference and had a uh, cardiac-related event at the end of a training day. And uh, 39 years of age, um, you know, gone, gone far too soon. And I think, you know, they all suck. Right, like losing people, particularly at the height of their their lives, when they have have so much still to give to their families and communities and and fire companies, it uh, knows they coach. It's it's really it's really difficult. But um, I think a lot of times in the fire service, we spend a lot of time focused on like all of the ways in which we can get killed at fires and emergencies, and it certainly happens, and that's something we should be mindful of, and 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 work to actively uh, to to mitigate those risks. But the bottom line is that most of us will will probably lose our lives in ways that we didn't anticipate or or predict. And um, I think a lot of times as, as a team, 
you know, just having the team and the relationships that are, that are, that are, that are there and having had so many folks like Nick Colt, right. That have kind of navigated these tumultuous waters that, that follow when we lose people, whether it's for, for reasons of, of health or it's operational reasons, um, knowing that as Banana would say, like there is another side and we, we, we can take comfort in the fact that as difficult as these losses are, with meaningful relationships in place and a, and a mission that sustains all of us, a common mission that, that as much as we miss them, we, we will be better and we'll be able to leave the world a, a better place than we found it in a way that truly honors their lives and, and their sacrifices. That was perfectly said. I would just add, most people go through their lives, right? Just, they just go through them. These men lived. Right, they lived with purpose and meaning. The value that that carries and what it means um, to live. And people in these professions, whether it's you know, the military, police, fire, law enforcement, for so many of them, they live a life. And uh, we should just be thankful uh, that such folks lived and that we had the chance uh, to be in their midst. And rest assured, the fire gods are pleased. Thank you both. As we wrap up, I'd like to ask, can you share what you're looking forward to next year? Well, hopefully uh, life will get a little bit back to normal. I mean, tomorrow is always a better day. And uh, just to keep, get, you know, keep getting after it, it looks like there's gonna be a number of in-person opportunities that are developing. Uh, there's nothing better than that. Talk about living. I'm I'm very fortunate, right? I got to do the things that I really loved, whether it's in the firehouse or or with this. And uh, I'll just keep plugging along until I can plug no more. And thankful all the way. There's nothing better than having you know meaning and purpose in your life. And when you get to do it from two different perspectives, you are truly blessed. I'm really excited about the year ahead. We've got a couple of. Uh, digital courses that we're going to run. We're, we're going to launch here early, early in the year, a leadership course, a human performance course. Um, like I said, you have the opportunity to interact with people from all parts of uh, the, the U.S. And then I'm excited about the summit in Annapolis in, in, in April. I just think it's a great place for several dozen of us across the country to get together and spend a, a, a day or two focused on leadership and human performance. Um, and the types of environments where we find ourselves. I'm probably most excited programmatically about the expansion of human performance programs. So Cherry Hill is getting ready to, we're getting ready to do their third iteration here and start that in a few weeks. And then Fairfax County, Virginia, which I would argue is probably one of the most squared away, uh, robust, certainly in terms of resources and progressive fire departments on the East Coast. They're getting ready to come online with the human performance program in partnership with LUF starting in March. So when we had an organization of that size to put together 30, 35 of their, of their top performance leaders, like there's, there's no doubt in my mind that we're gonna have a really terrific group of, of leaders and some probably some strategic visionaries in, in the room as we think about optimizing human performance in the American Fire Service, both at present and in the years ahead. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's and it sounds like there's a few departments on the West Coast that are going to come online as as well. So you know, uh, I think if we're able to establish some interest and get a program or two launched on the West Coast, and then continue to build out programs on the East Coast, I think things are will naturally migrate a, a, across the country. So I'm pretty excited about that. The film room, I know we've been talking about it. People are probably wondering when the heck we're going to finally launch it. It's going to be soon, next few weeks soon. Uh, there's just a few technical issues that we're trying to resolve. But I, I talked earlier about the, the proliferation of video. There's a lot of video out there. And a lot of it is pre-arrival, early arrival. It really lends itself to, to observation. And, and I talked earlier about a lot of times when we make sense of fires, it's easy to make sense of a fire right to left because you largely know how the story ends and you've reduced uncertainty considerably. But what if, what, what if you put young firefighters and young company officers 
in a position where they're forced to make a decision at a certain moment in time, absent of knowing how things unfold or where things go or how the story story ends where you hit pause. You know, if you're a competitive athlete, particularly in something like football, you're, you're no stranger to, to film. The military has long made, or in more recent years, has made use of it. And I think it's, it's, it's a great time for the fire service to make use of a lot of the, the, the film that's publicly available to us. It re- really costs nothing. That The only thing that's missing is there has to be a structure. There has to be a, a process by which we watch film because left their own devices, we'll just watch it as, as buffs. Right. We need to kind of like resist the urge to watch it as a as a armchair quarterback buff and sit down and watch it in a really constructive, meaningful way, substantive way where we where we optimize and maximize the opportunity it is. So that's going to be coming online soon. And I guess the other thing I'm excited about, because it's just really significant is for us to continue to build on this analysis and evaluation of uh, the line of duty investigations and, and, and process that are involved and continue to identify patterns and gaps that that we think uh, need need to be addressed in a way that we can improve the improve the process going forward. So those are just a few of the things I'm really excited about. And I'm already looking forward to Christmas in October on the farm. Jim Jim Roussel has committed to spending an entire uh, week week with us. That's gonna be a truly truly special week. I'm looking forward to just continuing to build on the momentum that I generated this year personally and professionally. So I'm excited for everything that you've both shared. And um, thank you again for taking the time, the long time to speak with me this morning. This has been a very enriching conversation and I think a really robust year in review. Thank you, Patty. Thanks, Patty. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.